0: Section sixteen of Three Soldiers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by M. B. Three Soldiers by John Dos Passos. Section sixteen. Three. No, nothing can make me go back now. It's no use talking about it. But you're crazy, man! You're crazy! One man alone can't buck the system like that, can he, Henslow? Walters was talking earnestly, leaning across the table beside the lamp. Henslow, who sat very stiff on the edge of a chair, nodded with compressed lips. Andrews lay at full length on the bed, out of the circle of light. Honestly, Andy, said Henslow with tears in his voice, I think you'd better do what Walters says. It's no use being heroic about it. I'm not being heroic, Henny, cried Andrews, sitting up on the bed. He drew his feet under him, tailor-fashion, and went on talking very quietly. Look, it's a purely personal matter. I've got to a point where I don't give a damn what happens to me. I don't care if I'm shot or if I live to be eighty. I'm sick of being ordered round. One more order shouted at my head is not worth living to be eighty. To me, that's all for God's sake, let's talk about something else. But how many orders have you had shouted at your head since you got in this school detachment? Not one. You can put through your discharge application, probably. Walters got to his feet, letting the chair crash to the floor behind him. He stopped to pick it up. Look here. Here's my proposition, he went on. I don't think you're marked AWOL in the school office. Things are so damn badly run there you can turn up and say you've been sick and draw your back pay and nobody'll say a thing or else i'll put it right up to the guy who's top sergeant he's a good friend of mine we can fix it up on the records some way but for god's sake don't ruin your whole life on account of a little stubbornness and some damn fool anarchistic ideas or other a fellow like you ought to have more sense than to pick up he's right andy said henslow in a low voice "'Please don't talk any more about it. You've told me all that before,' said Andrews sharply. He threw himself back on the bed and rolled over towards the wall. They were silent a long time. A sound of voices and footsteps drifted up from the courtyard. "'But look here, Andy,' said Henslow, nervously stroking his moustache. "'You care much more about your work than any—' abstract idea of asserting your right of individual liberty. Even if you don't get caught, I think the chances of getting caught are mighty slim if you use your head, but even if you don't, you haven't enough money to live on for long over here. You you haven't... Don't you think I've thought of all that? I'm not crazy, you know. I've figured up the balance perfectly sanely. The only thing is, you fellows can't understand. Have you ever been in a labor battalion? Have you ever had a man you've been chatting with five minutes before deliberately knock you down? Good God, you don't know what you're talking about, you two. I've got to be free, now. I don't care at what cost. Being free's the only thing that matters. Andrews lay on his back, talking towards the ceiling. Henslow was on his feet, striding nervously about the room. As if anyone was ever free, he muttered, all right quibble quibble you can argue anything away if you want to of course cowardice is the best policy necessary for survival the man who's got most will to live is the most cowardly go on andrews's voice was shrill and excited breaking occasionally like a half-grown boy's voice andy what on earth's got hold of you god i hate to go away this way added henslow after a pause I'll pull through all right, Henny. I'll probably come to see you in Syria, disguised as an Arab sheikh. Andrews laughed excitedly. If I thought I'd do any good, I'd stay. But there's nothing I can do. Everybody's got to settle their own affairs, in their own damn fool way. So long, Walters. Walters and Henslow shook hands absently. Henslow came over to the bed and held out his hand to Andrews. Look, old man, you will be as careful as you can, won't you? And write me, Care American Red Cross, Jerusalem. I'll be damned anxious, honestly. Don't you worry, we'll go traveling together yet, said Andrews, sitting up and taking Henslow's hand. They heard Henslow's steps fade down the stairs and then ring for a moment on the pavings of the courtyard. Walters moved his chair over beside Andrews's bed. Now, look, let's have a man-to-man talk, Andrews. Even if you want to ruin your life, you haven't a right to. There's your family, and haven't you any patriotism? Remember, there is such a thing as duty in the world. Andrews sat up and said in a low, furious voice, pausing between each word, I can't explain it, but I shall never put a uniform on again. So for Christ's sake, shut up! All right, do what you goddamn please. I'm through with you. Walters suddenly flashed into a rage. He began undressing silently. Andrews lay a long while flat on his back in the bed, staring at the ceiling. Then he too undressed, put the light out, and got into bed. The rue des Petits Jardins was a short street in a district of warehouses. A grey, windowless wall shut out the light along all of one side. Opposite was a cluster of three old houses, leaning together as if the outer ones were trying to support the beetling mansard roof of the center house. Beside them rose a huge building with rows and rows of black windows. When Andrews stopped to look about him, he found the street completely deserted. The ominous stillness that had brooded over the city during all the walk from his room near the Panthéon, seemed here to culminate in sheer desolation. In the silence he could hear the light padding noise made by the feet of a dog that trotted across the end of the street. The house with the mansard roof was number 8. The front of the lower story had once been painted in chocolate color, across the top of which was still decipherable the sign Charbon, Bois, Lomang. On the grimed window beside the door was painted in white, débit de boisson. Andrews pushed on the door, which opened easily. Somewhere in the interior a bell jangled, startlingly loud after the silence of the street. On the wall opposite the door was a speckled mirror with a crack in it the shape of a star, and under it a bench with three marble-topped tables. The zinc bar filled up the third wall. In the fourth was a glass door pasted up with newspapers. Andrews walked over to the bar. The jangling of the bell faded to silence. He waited, a curious uneasiness gradually taking possession of him. Anyways, he thought, he was wasting his time. He ought to be doing something to arrange his future. He walked over to the street door. The bell jangled again when he opened it. At the same moment, a man came out through the door the newspapers were pasted over he was a stout man in a dingy white shirt stained to a brownish color around the armpits and caught in very tightly at the waist by the broad elastic belt that held up his yellow corduroy trousers his face was flabby of a greenish color black eyes looked at andrews fixedly through barely open lids so that they seemed long slits above the cheekbones that's the chink thought andrews well said the man taking his place behind the bar with his legs far apart a beer please said andrews there isn't any a glass of wine then the man nodded his head and keeping his eyes fastened on andrews all the while strode out of the door again a moment later chrisfield came out with rumpled hair yawning rubbing an eye with the knuckles of his fist. "'Lousy! I just woke up, Andy. Come along in back.' Andrews followed him through a small room with tables and benches, down a corridor where the reek of ammonia bit into his eyes, and up a staircase littered with dirt and garbage. Chrisfield opened a door directly on the stairs, and they stumbled into a large room with a window that gave on the court." Crisfield closed the door carefully and turned to Andrews with a smile. "'I was right smart skeered you wouldn't find it, Andy.' "'So this is where you live?' "'Mm-hmm. A bunch of us lives here.' A wide bed without coverings, where a man in olive drab slept rolled in a blanket, was the only furniture of the room. Three of us sleeps in that bed,' said Crisfield. "'Who's that?' cried the man in the bed, sitting up suddenly. "'All right, Al. He's a buddy of mine,' said Crisfield. "'He's taken off his uniform.' "'Jesus, you got guts,' said the man in the bed. Andrews looked at him sharply. A piece of toweling, splotched here and there with dried blood, was wrapped round his head, and a hand, swathed in bandages, was drawn up to his body. The man's mouth took on a twisted expression of pain as he let his head gradually down to the bed again. "Gosh, what did you do to yourself?" cried Andrews. "I tried to hop a freight at Marseilles. Needs practice to do that sort of thing," said Chrisfield, who sat on the bed pulling his shoes off. "I'm going to get back to bed, Andy. I'm just dead tired. I took cabbages all night at the market. They give you a job there without askin' no questions." Have a cigarette. Andrews sat down on the end of the bed and threw a cigarette towards Chrisfield. Have one? he asked Al. No. I couldn't smoke. I'm almost crazy with this hand. One of the wheels went over it. I cut what was left of the little finger with a razor. Andrews could see the sweat rolling down his cheek as he spoke. Christ, that poor bugger's been having a time, Andy. We was as scared to get a doctor and we all didn't know what to do. I got some pure alcohol and washed it in that. It's not infected. I guess it'll be all right. Where are you from, Al? asked Andrews. Frisco. Oh, I'm going to try and sleep. I haven't slept a wink for four nights. Why don't you get some dope? Oh, we all ain't had a cent to spare for anything, Andy. Oh, if we had kale, we could live like kings. Not, said Al, in the middle of a nervous little giggle. Look, Chris, said Andrews, I'll have with you. I've got five hundred francs. Jesus God, man, don't kid about anything like that. Here's two hundred and fifty. It's not so much as it sounds. Andrews handed him five fifty-franc notes. Say, how did you come to bust loose? said Al, turning his head towards Andrews. I got away from a labor battalion one night, that's all. Tell me about it, buddy. I don't feel my hands so much when I'm talking to somebody. I'd be home now if it wasn't for a gin mill in Alsace. Say, don't you think that big headgear they sport up there is awful good-looking? Got my goat every time I saw one. I was coming back from leave at Grenoble, and I went through Strasbourg, some town, my outfit was in Coblenz. That's where I met up with Chris here. Anyway, we was raising hell round Strasbourg, and I went into a gin mill down a flight of steps. Gee, everything in that town's plum picturesque, just like a kid I used to know at home whose folks were Italian used to talk about when he said how he wanted to come overseas. Well, I met up with a girl down there who said she'd just come down to a place like that to look for her brother who was in the Foreign Legion. Andrews and Chrisfield laughed. "'What are you laughing at?' went on Al in an eager, taut voice. "'Honest to God, I'm going to marry her if ever I get out of this. She's the best little girl I ever met up with. She was a waitress in a restaurant, and when she was off duty she used to wear that there Alsatian costume. Hell, I just stayed on. Every day I thought I'd go away the next day. Anyway, the war was over. I weren't a damn bit of use.' hasn't a fellow got any rights at all? Then the MPs started cleaning up Strasburg after AWOLS, and I beat it out of there, and Christ, it don't look as if I'd ever be able to get back. "'Say, Andy,' said Chrisfield suddenly, "'let's go down after some booze.' "'All right. Say, Al, you don't want me to get you anything at the drugstore?' "'No, I don't want to do anything but lay low and bathe it with alcohol now and then against infection.' "'Anyways, it's the 1st of May. You'd be crazy to go out. You might get pulled. They say there's riots going on.' "'Gosh, I forgot it was the 1st of May,' cried Andrews. "'They're running a general strike to protest against the war with Russia, and—' "'A guy told me,' said Al in a shrill voice. "'There might be a revolution.' "'Come along, Andy,' said Chris from the door. On the stairs, Andrews felt Chrisfield's hand squeezing his arm hard. "'Say, Andy!' Chris put his lips close to Andrews's ear and spoke in a rasping whisper. "'You're the only one that knows. You know that. You and that sergeant. Don't you say anything so that the guys here can catch on, do you hear?' "'All right, Chris, I won't. But man alive, you oughtn't to lose your nerve about it. You aren't the only one who ever shot Shut your face d'ye you hear muttered chrisfield savagely they went down the stairs in silence in the room next to the bar they found the chink reading a newspaper is he french whispered andrews i dunno what he is he ain't a white man i'll wager that said chris but he's square do you know anything about what's going on asked andrews in french going up to the chink where the chink got up flashing a glance at Andrews out of the corners of his slit-like eyes. Outside, in the streets, in Paris, anywhere where people are out in the open and can do things. What do you think about the revolution? The chink shrugged his shoulders. Anything's possible, he said. Do you think they really can overthrow the army and the government in one day like that? Who? broke in Chrisfield? Why, the people, Chris. The ordinary people like you and me, who are tired of being ordered round, who are tired of being trampled down by other people just like them who've had the luck to get in right with the system. "'Do you know what I'll do when the revolution comes?' broke in the chink with sudden intensity, slapping himself on the chest with one hand. "'I'll go straight to one of those jewelry stores, Rue Royale, and fill my pockets and come home with my hands full of diamonds. What good'll that do you?' "'What good?' "'I'll bury them back there in the court and wait. "'I'll need them in the end. "'Do you know what it'll mean, your revolution? "'Another system. "'When there's a system, "'there are always men to be bought with diamonds. "'That's what the world's like. "'But they won't be worth anything. "'It'll only be work that is worth anything.' Huh, "'We'll see,' said the chink. "'Do you think that it could happen, Andy, "'and there'd be a revolution, "'and there wouldn't be any more armies?' And we'd be able to go round like we are civilians, I don't think so. Fellas like us ain't got it in 'em to buck the system, Andy. Many a system's gone down before; it will happen again. They're fighting the Guard Republican now before the Guard, de said the Chink in an expressionless voice. "What do you want down there? You'd better stay in the back. You never know what the police may put over on us. Give us two bottles of Van Blank," Chink said Crisfield. When'll you pay? Right now. This guy's giving me fifty francs. Rich, are you? said the chink with hatred in his voice, turning to Andrews. Won't last long at that rate. Wait here. He strode into the bar, closing the door carefully after him. A sudden jangling of the bell was followed by a sound of loud voices and stamping feet. Andrews and Chrisfield tiptoed into the dark corridor where they stood a long time waiting breathing the foul air that stung their nostrils with the stench of plaster damp and rotting wine at last the chink came back with three bottles of wine well you're right he said to andrews they are putting up barricades on the avenue magenta on the stairs they met a girl sweeping she had untidy hair that straggled out from under a blue handkerchief tied under her chin and a pretty coloured fleshy face. Chrisfield caught her up to him and kissed her as he passed. We all calls her the dog-faced girl. He said to Andrews in explanation, "She does our work. I liked to had a fight with Slippery over her yesterday. Didn't I, Slippery?" When he followed Chrisfield into the room, Andrews saw a man sitting on the window ledge smoking. He was dressed as a second lieutenant, but his puttees were brilliantly polished and he smoked through a long amber cigarette holder. His pink nails were carefully manicured. "'This is slippery, Andy,' said Chrisfield. "'This guy's an old buddy of mine. We was bunkies together a hell of a time, wasn't we, Andy?' "'You bet we were.' "'So you've taken your uniform off, have you?' "'Mighty foolish,' said Slippery. "'Suppose they nab you?' "'It's all up now, anyway. I don't intend to get nabbed,' said Andrews we got booze said crisfield slippery had taken dice from his pocket and was throwing them meditatively on the floor between his feet snapping his fingers with each throw i'll shoot you one of them bottles chris he said andrews walked over to the bed al was stirring uneasily his face flushed and his mouth twitching hello he said what's the news they say they're putting up barricades near the garda it may be something. "'God, I hope so. God, I wish they'd do everything here like they did in Russia. Then we'd be free. We couldn't go back to the States for a while, but there wouldn't be no MPs to hunt us like we were criminals. I'm going to sit up a while and talk.' Al giggled hysterically for a moment. "'Have a swig of wine?' asked Andrews. "'Sure. It may help a bit. Thanks.' He drank greedily from the bottle spilling a little over his chin. Say, is your face badly cut up, Al? No, it's just scotched. Skin's off. Looks like beefsteak, I reckon. Ever been to Strasbourg? No. Man, that's the town. And the girls in that costume? Whee! Say, you're from San Francisco, aren't you? Sure. Well, I wonder if you knew a fellow I knew at training camp. A kid named Fuselli from Frisco? Knew him! Jesus, man, he's the best friend I've got! You don't know where he is now, do you? I saw him here in Paris two months ago. Well, I'll be damned! God, that's great! Al's voice was staccato from excitement. So you knew Dan at training camp? The last letter from him was about a year ago. Dan had just got to be corporal. He's a damn clever kid, Dan is. And ambitious, too. One of the guys always makes good. God, I'd hate to see him this way. Do you know, we used to see a hell of a lot of each other in Frisco, and he always used to tell me how he'd make good before I did. He was goddamn right, too. Said I was too soft about girls. Did you know him real well? Yes. I even remember that he used to tell me about a fellow he knew who was called Al. He used to tell me about how you two used to go down to the harbor and watch the big liners come in at night all a flare with lights through the golden gate. And he used to tell you he'd go over to Europe in one when he'd made his pile. That's why Strasburg made me think of him, broke in Al, tremendously excited. Because it was so picturesque-like. But honest, I've tried hard to make good in this army. I've done everything a fellow could. And all I did was get into a cushy job in the regimental office. But Dan, God, he may even be an officer by this time. "'No, he's not that,' said Andrews. "'Look here, you ought to keep quiet with that hand of yours.' "'Damn my hand! Oh, it'll heal all right if I forget about it. You see, my foot slipped when they shunted a car I was just climbing into, and I guess I ought to be glad I wasn't killed. But, gee, when I think that if I hadn't been a fool about that girl, I might have been home by now. "'The chink says they're putting up barricades on the Avenue Magenta.' That means business, kid. Business nothing, shouted Slippery from where he and Chrisfield leaned over the dice on the tile floor in front of the window. One tank and a few husky Senegalese'll make your goddamn socialists run so fast they won't stop till they get to Dijon. You guys ought to have more sense. Slippery got to his feet and came over to the bed, jingling the dice in his hand. It'll take more than a handful of socialists paid by the Boche to break the army. If it could be broke, don't you think people would have done it long ago? Shut up a minute. I thought I heard something, said chrisfield suddenly going to the window. They held their breath. The bed creaked as Al stirred uneasily in it. No, warn't nothing. I thought I'd heard people singing. The International!" cried Al. Shut up, said chrisfield in a low, gruff voice. Through the silence of the room, they heard steps on the stairs. "'All right, it's only Smitty,' said Slippery, and he threw the dice down on the tiles again. The door opened slowly to let in a tall, stoop-shouldered man with a long face and long teeth. "'Who's the frog?' he said in a startled way, with one hand on the doorknob. "'All right, Smitty. It ain't a frog. It's a guy Chris knows. He's taken his uniform off.' "'Lo, buddy,' said Smitty, shaking Andrews's hand. "'God, you look like a frog.' "'That's good,' said Andrews. "'There's hell to pay,' broke out Smitty breathlessly. "'You know Gus Evans and the little black-haired guy goes round with him? "'They've been picked up. i seen him myself with some MPs at Place de la Bastille. "'And a guy I talked to under the bridge where I slept last night "'said a guide told him they were going to clean the A-walls out of Paris "'if they had to search through every house in the place. "'If they come here, they'll get something they ain't looking for.' muttered Chrisfield. "'I'm going down to Nice, getting too hot around here,' said Slippery. "'I've got travel orders in my pocket now.' "'How did you get him?' "'Easy as pie,' said Slippery, lighting a cigarette and puffing effectively towards the ceiling. "'I met up with a guy, a second lute, in the Knickerbocker Bar. "'We get strung together and goes on a party with two girls, I know. "'In the morning I get up bright and early,' and now I've got five thousand francs, a leave clip, and a silver cigarette case, and Lieutenant J.B. Franklin's running around saying how he was robbed by a Paris whore. Or, more likely, keepin' damn quiet about it. That's my system. But gosh darn it, I don't see how you can go around with a guy and drink with him and then rob him, cried Hal from the bed. No different from cleaning a guy up at craps. Well? "'and suppose that feller I knew was only a bloody private. "'Don't you think he'd have turned me over to the MPs like Winkin?' "'No, I don't think so,' said Al. "'They're just like you and me. skeered to death they'll get in wrong, "'but they won't light on a feller unless they have to.' "'That's a goddamn lie,' cried Chrisfield. "'They like ridin' you. "'A doughboy's less'n a dog to em. "'I'd shoot any one of em like I'd shoot a nigger.' Andrews was watching Chrisfield's face it suddenly flushed red he was silent abruptly his eyes met andrews's eyes with a flash of fear they're all sorts of officers like they're all sorts of us al was insisting but you damn fools quit arguing cried smithy what the hell are we going to do it ain't safe here no more that's how i look at it they were silent at last chrisfield said what you going to do andy "'I hardly know. I think I'll go out to Saint-Germain to see a boy I know there who works on a farm, to see if it's safe to take a job there. I won't stay in Paris. Then there's a girl here that I want to look up. I must see her.' Andrews broke off suddenly and started walking back and forth across the end of the room. "'You better be damn careful. They'll probably shoot you if they catch you,' said Slippery. Andrews shrugged his shoulders. "'Well, I'd rather be shot than go to Leavenworth for twenty years. God, I would!' cried Al. "'How do you fellows eat here?' asked Slippery. "'We buy stuff, and the dog-faced girl cooks it for us.' "'Got anything for this noon?' "'I'll see if I can buy some stuff,' said Andrews. "'It's safer for me to go out than for you.' "'All right. Here's twenty francs,' said Slippery, handing Andrews a bill with an offhand gesture." Chrisfield followed Andrews down the stairs. When they reached the passage at the foot of the stairs, he put his hand on Andrews's shoulder and whispered, "'Say, Andy, do you think there's anything in that revolution business? I hadn't never thought they could buck the system that away. way They did in Russia. Then we'd be free, civilians like we all was before the draft. But that ain't possible, Andy. That ain't possible, Andy.' We'll see, said Andrews, as he opened the door to the bar. He went up excitedly to the chink, who sat behind the row of bottles along the bar. Well, what's happening? Where? By the Gardeleste where they were putting up barricades? Barricades, shouted a young man in a red sash who was drinking at a table. Why, they tore down some of the iron guards round the trees, if you call that barricades. But they're cowards. Whenever the cops charge they run. They're dirty cowards. Do you think anything's going to happen? What can happen when you've got nothing but a bunch of dirty cowards? What do you think about it? said Andrews, turning to the chink. The chink shook his head without answering. Andrews went out. When he came back, he found Al and Chrisfield alone in their room. Chrisfield was walking up and down, biting his fingernails on the wall opposite the window was a square of sunshine reflected from the opposite wall of the court for god's sake beat it chris i'm all right al was saying in a weak whining voice his face twisted up by pain what's the matter cried andrews putting down a large bundle slippery's seen an m p nosing around in front of the gin mill good god the trouble is al's too sick honest to god I'll stay with you, Al.' "'No, if you know somewhere to go, beat it, Chris. I'll stay here with Al, and talk French to the MPs if they come. We'll fool them somehow.' Andrews felt suddenly amused and joyous. "'Honest to God, Andy. I'd stay if it weren't that that sergeant knows,' said Chrisfield in a jerky voice. "'Beat it, Chris. There may be no time to waste.' "'So long, Andy.' Chrisfield slipped out of the door. It's funny, Al, said Andrews, sitting on the edge of the bed and unwrapping the package of food. I'm not a damn bit scared any more. I think I'm free of the army, Al. How's your hand? I dunno. Oh, how I wish I was in my old bunk at Coblenz. I warn't made for bucking against the world this way. If we had old Dan with us, funny that you know Dan he'd have made a million ideas for getting out of this fix. But I'm glad he's not here. He'd bawl me out so for not having made good. He's a powerful, ambitious kid, is Dan? But it's not the sort of thing a man can make good in, Al, said Andrews slowly. They were silent. There was no sound in the courtyard, only very far away, the clatter of a patrol of cavalry over cobblestones. The sky had become overcast, and the room was very dark. The moldy plaster peeling off the walls had streaks of green in it. The light from the courtyard had a greenish tinge that made their faces look pale and dead, like the faces of men that have long been shut up between damp prison walls. "'And Fuselli had a girl named Mabe,' said Andrews. "'Oh, she married a guy in the Naval Reserve.' "'They had a grand wedding,' said Al. End of section 16.